0: We're going through the hard work right now of figuring that out. So just because we don't have it figured out today doesn't necessarily mean that 10 years from now that we won't have a good system in place. This episode of the CE
1: Drive podcast is brought to you by Business Career College. Business Career College is a leading provider of financial services education, including the life insurance licensing program The entire set of courses leading to the CFP certification, which is actually where I spend most of my time teaching and where I have met many of the participants in these podcasts. We also provide continuing education credits, live classroom and webinar instruction in support of the Elder Planning Counselor designation, and a few other odds and ends in support of folks in the financial services industry. You can find the full catalog of course offerings at www.businesscareercollege.com. Hi, this is Jason Watt. Welcome to part two of our two-part series with Mike Alguire, dealing with cryptocurrency. And again, uh, lots of depth in this episode. Uh, the continuing education credits for this episode will be the usual on the life insurance side. If you're in a jurisdiction that does not have pre-approval, uh, just be careful you have not exceeded your investment uh, quota. Most of the non-pre-approval jurisdictions, that's BC, Saskatchewan, and Ontario, place some sort of limit on how much of your CE regime you can meet via investment categories, so be careful of that. Otherwise, uh, this episode should be good for credits in all those jurisdictions, and it will be good in Alberta for a life insurance credit, uh, with advocates for an IAS credit, with iRock for a professional development credit, and with FP Canada for a financial planning credit. We're going to roll right into the episode, and following the episode, I'm going to come back and clean up some of the things that Mike and I left unaddressed or some of the uncertainties we had. Uh, There are some developments here. Uh, Notably, actually, I'm recording the uh, follow-on content here on the Family Day long weekend right smack dab in the middle of February, And there was one notable development on Friday that I'll cover at the end of the episode. So let's uh, hear from Mike, and then we'll come back afterwards with a bunch of follow-on content. The color for today's episode is red. The color for today's episode is red. Well, it's sort of a... Anarchist, democratist, uh, central bank type of
0: thing. It, it is. Well, so that's just it. That's why, you know, for, for folks that are listening to this and not steeped in the culture, like you'll see those people, they speak almost like you hear, you know, those anarchist kind of people speak, right? And that's from the beginning. That's what turned a lot of people off this, right? it's like, oh, these are these cypherpunks want to change the world and they're talking about, you know, taking down the man and taking back power. Um so it, it has some elements to that. Um but it but it is what it is. <laughs> and I mean
1: you're I, I get that anybody could set their machine to mining Bitcoin. I like you I'm in Edmonton and you know I run off the, the coal plant out by uh Hinton, right? And as I understand it that the amount of like my electricity bill essentially would be greater than any Bitcoin I would mine on my Dell laptop.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so for any of your listeners who are thinking of mining it themselves, it's, it's not worth it. Um, in the beginnings, it was, right? Before Bitcoin had the market cap it has today, before it had the value it has today, um, it was worth it because uh, there weren't that many people. Now that it's got real value and people are spending real money they're buying those chips like i uh, i said they're um situating their mining their their mines close to electricity sources um often ones that that are um that are constant so they're um say uh hydro generation plants and where they don't have anywhere to dump their spare electricity when the, the need on the grid is down so if you're a hydro plant and and you're you know you're producing x wattage during the day the grid is consuming all of it at night maybe it's not consuming at all um and you have this spare cycles power that you're prepared to sell at a cheaper rate so the regular joe lunchbox cannot compete with people who are taking you know sea cans full of these uh these mining rigs uh out out in the middle of nowhere and connecting them with solar and uh, to the hydro plant and, you know, siphoning off their power at three cents a kilowatt or whatever, when the rest of us are paying 10, um, you just, you can't compete. So um, I would suggest they don't try, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably fair advice.
1: Um, So we've talked about Bitcoin a fair bit. You mentioned Ethereum earlier. Uh, What else is out there in the crypto world?
0: Oh, I thought you were going to go into Ethereum and I was going to say, how many hours do you have? So (laughs) to be honest, actually, that's that's a great segue to another another thing that people misunderstand. Outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum, there's not much. And I'll explain that in a second. But there are some other cryptocurrencies. Um, So they are more fringy, but generally They're built on a lot of the same technology as Bitcoin, but the technology has been changed. One of those elements, those five core elements, has been changed or tweaked in some way to give it a different function, if that makes sense. So, um, as an example, uh, there's a competitor, essentially, to Bitcoin, uh, which is called Litecoin, you may have heard of. Historically, the two of them were neck and neck for a while. Maybe not neck and neck, but... um, Basically, Litecoin took, uh, you know, the core infrastructure of Bitcoin and, you know, we talked about tweaking the the math problem. They tweaked it so that the heartbeat of Litecoin was every couple minutes or or less. So what they had was essentially a a currency like Bitcoin, but where blocks were mined uh, in a minute or less, uh, and so people gravitated towards that because remember, if you mentally take yourself back five or eight years, um, it wasn't necessarily to everybody obvious that Bitcoin would be the winner. It was the first mover, right? So it, it was first on the field and and the biggest, biggest gorilla out there. But there were a lot of, you know, a lot of innovation, a lot of ideas, and people were going to try and knock it off the pedestal. So Litecoin was was. Something like that. So a lot of people said, look, this Bitcoin thing is great, but it's kind of cumbersome. It takes 10 minutes to mine a block. Uh, block sizes can be only this big. And, and so it, what they were trying to do is say Bitcoin is not going to scale, right? You guys have this pie in the sky vision of a perfect future where everybody uses Bitcoin. The way it's currently designed, um, you know, you, you're going to blow it up once you get 100,000 users. Right? And with billions of people on this planet, that's just not viable. So, in order to solve that problem, we're going to do these tweaks. Right. So we're gonna we're gonna increase the heartbeat. Um, with one thing they did that was really interesting. Again, um, I know I'm going into a to a hole, so I'll stay pretty shallow in it. But they they tried to get around the the block size, the the capacity issues by implementing something they call the Lightning Network. Now you, your viewers might hear about that is um, and that allows basically transactions to happen very quickly and lots of them um, without uh, encumbering the main the main chain but they'll all still be um, still be secure so what what they're proposing with the lightning network was now we can make ordering a coffee Okay, because you can pay for something for a dollar, right? And it can be transacted in less than 20 seconds. And it doesn't cost anything. Because remember too, as more people use the Bitcoin network, you might have heard that the fees for getting a transaction mined were starting to increase and become a couple bucks. Well, nobody's going to pay a couple bucks in fees to buy something for a dollar, right? <laughs> so, so, so Litecoin was, was kind of a contender, um, it's still doing very well. but um, and this is my own personal opinion. What I've seen is that it, Litecoin and these other these other implementations are almost like a proving ground because um, Bitcoin is now experimenting with the idea of uh, implementing a lightning network structure as well. And as we talked about with the eighty percent of of miners coming to agreement on a change, they could bring it in. So it's almost like you know, the farm teams. <laughs> right so so they're experimenting and doing things there's another one called monero which i find very interesting only because they tweaked it specially specially for privacy so the idea behind monero was always no one will ever be able to tell who you know th- there's no trace back basically it is a completely anonymous system and where we may end up in the future is with a few of these sort of sub lower level, if you want to call them cryptocurrencies operating for their, their base, if you want to think of it that way, but uh, integrated with Bitcoin. So there there's, as long as there exists a market to transact between say Monero and Bitcoin, and there is um, people can move their money between them for whatever purpose they want. So, Anyway, that's, I, I won't go much further unless you want to, but the, the, those are a couple of the things out there. But they're, um, they're not, there's not a lot of um, different things out there. Those implementations are tweaking um, the things about Bitcoin that uh, they want to tweak, and that's how they get their value and their base.
1: That, that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's good, Mike. Thanks. So if I was going to go buy some Bitcoin today, Canadian investor, how would I go about
0: this? So what you would do is you would go to uh, one of the exchanges that are currently, you know, for running Um, Coinbase is probably the biggest one today. I'm on Coinbase myself, actually. Are you? Okay. Yeah. So Coinbase, you know, 90% of the people listening, if they, if they listen to this and they're like, oh crap, I want to go buy some Bitcoin, they'll go to Coinbase. Um, And what they need to understand, and I think this will be important to your, your listeners because they're into finance, um, what they need to understand is when they're buying on Coinbase, they are not taking possession, if that makes sense, of their Bitcoin. It's like um, Coinbase is like um, a bank in that the bank holds the gold and you have an account with them that says, I, I have you know, three ounces of gold in your bank. Um, if you buy the Bitcoin yourself, but you need to be more technical, right? And you take possession of the keys um, yourself, then it's like you physically hold the gold. Now, I wouldn't advise uh, the folks listening to this if this is their first, you know, foray into into Bitcoin. I I would advise them to learn the technical. But if they want to buy right away, then to use uh, a Coinbase, for example. But the reason that people would eschew Coinbase is because they feel that if something went wrong, and I think you wanted to get into this uh, later, um, if something went wrong with Coinbase, i.e., it was mismanaged or they were hacked or whatever, there is a possibility, like with a bank heist, that you lose your gold or your Bitcoin. Whereas if you're the one in possession of it, um, it, you, it can't be, well, it can be hacked if, if you don't take proper care, but uh, it's less likely. But it's, it's on you then. It's- Correct. It, there's no counterparty risk, I think is what, you know, the the financial folks call it. They call it counterparty risk. So if you're holding it, there's no counterparty risk other than your own self. <laughs> but if you go to a Coinbase, um, you know, you may end up in a situation like Quadriga, like uh, Mount Gox. Your listeners may have heard about that was one of the, the first ones. Um, and what people didn't understand and many still don't understand is that the Bitcoin network and Bitcoin stayed strong and stable. It was never hacked. You cannot, that's the beauty of it. You cannot hack a Bitcoin, but you can hack some other organization that human beings have built where they promise to keep good custody of your gold or your Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I have a a sticky pad with my Coinbase password and username
0: on it, that's on you. Right. So, so yeah, but honestly now, um, and then this is again, my personal opinion, it was more the wild West with Quadrigas, Mount Gox's Coinbase's before um, I'm really starting to see those main uh, exchanges um, develop a maturity in cybersecurity that they didn't necessarily have before. So, you know, this is not advice. I'm sure your, your listeners say this all the time. This is not financial advice, but um, my mother is on Coinbase and um I prefer that she be on that as opposed to keeping it herself or giving it to me, because then I feel guilty if I, <laughs> I screwed up. So, you know, it, it's evolving, just everything. And that's that's why I love this. Everything in this industry is evolving. Um, and a lot of the the arguments that people have about why, you know, Bitcoin sucks or, or this, it'll never work. Um, a lot of those problems over the years have been addressed and are evolving. And so things like how are we going to have exchanges and and how well capitalized will they be and how well secured will they be and will they be subject to regulatory uh, requirements and audits and all of that kind of stuff. We're going through the hard work right now of figuring that out. So just because we don't have it figured out today doesn't necessarily mean that 10 years from now that we won't have a good system in place. But the messy you know you know we're getting sweaty and dusty in the ring right now uh trying to hammer it all out and what upsets me is when you know the spectators are watching you know us gladiators trying to build this in the ring and they're sniping at them going ah that sucks that'll never work and you, you kind of feel like well you know get down here and and it, it has the potential um and it can and and it's being built before our eyes You have central banks in
1: it. I like the Bank of Canada has its own digital currency project. You know that they're focused because of taxes and transparency and that stuff will all get worked out one way or another.
0: It'll get worked out. And, you know, nobody knows that's, that is the reason. So here's another thought. (laughs) And when this goes to air, it'll probably be, uh, (laughs) I'll probably be proven wrong. But um, recently in the past two weeks, there has been a spike in the value of Bitcoin and the value of Ethereum and a number of other currencies. Um, Most folks that I listen to, the rationale they give for that spike is that those institutional investors are starting to come into the market. They're starting to take it seriously. And because for them, the risk-reward profile has has now reached a level Where they they still understand that betting on this is risky, but the rewards and the future far outweigh it, or outweigh you know the risk of it not working. And I think you know ten years from now, when we look back at this time, like say 2020, 2021, this will be the time when everyone says this is when institutions and governments started to integrate themselves with bitcoin and i say themselves with bitcoin and not bitcoin into themselves because um that's the beauty of bitcoin is that they don't they don't and cannot control it so they have to figure out how they're going to live with it
1: (laughs) yeah I, i just actually so we're recording this early in the new year early in 2021 just january 6th i guess and yeah i just saw a headline yesterday about a private wealth fund that uh dumped 1% of its value into Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? They,
0: yeah, there's a lot of them that are starting to publicly come out and say they're doing it. Um, there's also um, a lot of them that are doing it, but not publicly stating it because they don't want to move the market. And like, well, I, I think even more so with Bitcoin because because the market isn't huge yet, um, the market can be moved by news and big players and big money coming in all at once. And of course, they don't want that to happen before they buy theirs. <laughs> so um, from, what I, from what I know and the, the folks I've listened to and been watching, there's a lot of that money that is coming into the market uh, for what they call over the counter, meaning that they're, they're, they're buying it um, in small bits and they're, they're trying to accumulate or they're trying to establish a position in it and then they won't say that publicly until that position is established and it may take them weeks or months to do so but we're seeing the start of it now
1: it is very much like how you invest in especially small cap equity right same type of thing. now so back to the headlines thing. so you do get these crazy headlines right the john mcafee thing i think that he's supposed to have made good on his bet by now yeah where he uh he, I think, projected a million dollar value and Kevin O'Leary says it should be worth nothing. What's your take on these sort of uh, extreme positions?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a pretty boring guy. You've known me for a while. Um, my take is that they are just that extreme positions. The reason that nobody's sure is because they're both right, right? There, there is truth in each argument. Um, the McAfee argument about the potential for Bitcoin, if it evolves the way we imagine today, you know, us idealists and nothing ever does. (laughs) But if it becomes what the idealists want it to become, then there is that potential. Um, O'Leary's got a point too. It's just ones and zeros, right? And, And it doesn't have any value unless we believe it has value. But I would argue that that is the same for every single asset on the planet well actually no because some of them are physical but um you know
1: but fiat currency fiat currency is entirely based on our faith in the government
0: that issues it correct you know since 19 whatever it was 71 when the americans
1: however you look at Bretton woods or yeah
0: yeah you know since that happened you're absolutely right it's all about trust and faith and at its core And that's a a good segue to bring it back around, because at its core, that's what Bitcoin is, but it's trust and faith in math and not trust and faith in uh, people or governments. And that's why people gravitate towards it, because it cannot be corrupted. It cannot be bribed. It cannot be changed. It's open and transparent. Everyone can see everything that's going on, and everyone knows that you can't corrupt it. So <clears throat> uh, what better source of trust is there than that? And that's something that's new in this world, right? You never used to get that in anything except maybe physical gold, right? And and then it had to be physically possessed. And and even still, it was like, well, it could be, you know, it could actually be a titanium bar that's painted gold. You, you know what I mean? Like there could be trickery and and whatnot involved in it. But that's that's the magic, right? Behind Bitcoin. It's not, the technology, it's the fact that we've built we've placed those blocks in such a way that we have built a system of trust that nobody can break, or at least we can't imagine today how we could break it. Nobody in the world can, otherwise they would own Bitcoin. Like I by own it, I mean they would <laughs> they would steal it all, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> now what about ICOs, Mike? Do you know anything about ICOs?
0: Yeah. So those are interesting because <laughs> And this is, this is my point of saying, how much time do you have? But um, those are very interesting because those are also very distinct animals from the Bitcoin network. Most ICOs, and, and the word coin is a misnomer. Um, basically, what those are, people need to understand, is they are tokens. It's a distinct word, tokens, that exist on the Ethereum network. So just like Bitcoin is a network of computers running on the same program, there is another completely independent network that is running called the Ethereum network. And it does some of the things that Bitcoin does, but many other things. (laughs) And on that network of computers that's running can exist these tokens and these tokens are what we described earlier which is they're digitally scarce meaning that they they can be unique and never copied or duplicated so that's the value that they bring they are essentially the the world's most perfect certificate of authenticity right so you have this ethereum network that can produce these certificates if you want to and very simply and very cheaply within minutes Quite frankly, um, you or I uh, could go on to Ethereum if we had the knowledge um, and using following a protocol, they call them uh, ERC-20 tokens, ERC-20 is just the standard. If, if you want to have a token on the network, you have to basically comply to the standard of ERC-20. So, you can create an ERC-20 token within 10 minutes at a cost of $2, like whatever, right? And uh, I could create a uh, Mike coin and I could mint, I could mint a hundred of them and they would be, they would live on the Ethereum network in perpetuity forever. And they could be traded by people who cared. <laughs> right. So, uh, but if nobody cares uh, about my coins, then, you know, they have no value, but th- those ICOs, that's what they're doing. They're creating these tokens on the network, and then they're assigning those tokens value. They're saying, okay, well, if you wanna be part of this ICO, this, this raising of capital to do something, uh, we're minting, I don't know, X tokens, we'll sell you each one for whatever, 10 bucks. But this is what people need to understand. And, and really important, I think for, especially for your folks, there's ERC20 tokens or tokens today in the law, in canada as far as i know again i'm not an expert this is not legal advice are not uh securities so they do not represent an ownership of the company that's issuing them they are just a method of certifying that you have given the company money um to to do whatever the company wants to do with it um now but again to to our discussion about how things are evolving um, And this isn't my area. So I'm not, you know, I'm not completely knowledgeable about this, but the Canadian government and there's a a commission, Canadian Securities Administration, CSA. Our listeners will be well familiar with the CSA. Oh, are they? Oh, good. Well, then I'm going to choose my words carefully because I don't know them at all. Right. Like I, I don't know them from Adam, but I know that they're struggling right now. Um, they did come out with, uh, I think it was called, I think I wrote it down here, a staff notice, but they've probably put out more since then. This is back in 2017. And basically they did this standard government thing of saying, hmm, it looks like these could be the kind of things that we regulate. But, um, and maybe... Actually, Jay, you can tell me if if you know of more that's come out since then.
1: No real progress since then. Still the same notice that you're—they're not securities, and I think there was a reaffirmation or a, a finer bit of detail came on 2019 around that. Yeah, I haven't seen anything this year, but whatever there is, I'll uh, I'll post a link in the show notes. So.
0: Yeah. So we're still they're still struggling with how they're going to do this and trying to figure out um, how. Uh, i don't know how that's going to end but that's what those icos are today um, so if if you're if your listeners are giving advice to people until that gets sorted out my advice to them would be make sure that the people you're talking to understand that these are not securities there is no there's no ownership um, and goodness knows if they're legally enforceable uh, i don't think uh, there's been any Again, I'm probably wrong, but it's just starting now. Case law, right, which sort of brings light or, or codifies uh, how to use these things. So that's what I know about them. I, my knowledge is more about the technical, what they are and how they work, uh, less about the legal shenanigans that are going to take place over the next five years.
1: <laughs> I mean, just given how long it takes something to wind its way through the courts, I would say you will get case law for another five, six, seven years
0: minimum. Minimum. Yeah. So it's kind of Wild Westy until then. ICO for those—it's an initial coin offering, and it should be called an ITO, uh, initial token offering. But whatever, <laughs> Your people need to know what they're getting themselves involved in, and it's—it's it's really just—and—and uh, and many of them, I think, are, you know, have good intentions. The the reason the reason, from what I understand, especially technology companies are gravitating towards them is because of the lack of regulation, right? So, if you want to raise a lot of money really fast. This is the way to do it. You don't have to follow a lot of the regulations and the money will come in. And, you know, what you do with it is what you do with it.
1: Now, another potential way for investors to get in, of course, there's a few cryptocurrency or crypto based exchange traded funds out there today. Are you conversant at all in this market?
0: I'll be honest with you, I'm not. Um, what I do know about it, though, is that in the United States, I think it was just this week, um, there is uh, a firm that is trying to establish what I thought was the first uh, ETF for Bitcoin. By established, I mean the first legitimate, I, I, know, I don't know. I don't know what established ETF is. Oh,
1: yes, I think you're right. I apologize. There's some ETFs that are based on crypto businesses or blockchain businesses or some of that. This is a new thing to have an actual crypto that's purely holding Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. Cryptocurrencies themselves. Um, so it's coming. And, you know, when it happens, so this company, I was just watching this a couple days ago, they're basically reapplying. So they've applied three or four times already and been denied because from what I understand, the regulate, regulatory bodies are saying, well, we're not really sure what this is. Like we like all governments, we don't want to make a decision until we know what the right answer is. Um and and that's not clear yet. Um, but it will, I believe, this is not financial advice, I believe it will happen. Um, and when it does, I think you'll see a lot more consumer folks like you and I piling into it uh, as well. But I, again, it's too early to tell. And especially for Canada. I mean, the U.S. is, um, is trying very hard. There's probably folks in Canada trying to do the same, but um, I would imagine we'll probably trail them um, that's my guess.
1: I think you're probably right. I, I mean, I know there's a couple, couple ETF manufacturers in Canada that, and they, very, they, they talk about it as their business model to, to build models that are going to attract enthusiasm, capital, all that good stuff. Mm, yeah. Um, so when somebody invests, and in, I don't know if you can speak for yourself, or you talked about like your mother being a, a, an investor. Well, let's talk about my mom. <laughs> So what's that person looking for? Like, what's your, what's your mom's hope here? Is she a oh a hodler or is she like,
0: what? yeah. Yeah. So again, this, this will be me on my soapbox. I'll, I'll stay off of it, but you know, to be, to be honest, I think everybody's looking for what everyone else is looking for, which is appreciation and value. They, they want to make money for that. That's what there are folks. I think like myself, I like to put myself in that camp who, who, are in love with the idea of this technology. Who are in love with the idea that it will change things in the future in a positive way. Um, and then, of course, there are people that say, "Well, if I buy it today for ten dollars, and it is it going to be worth more tomorrow?" I mean, you don't you don't have to know anything about Bitcoin other than everybody's talking about it to to buy into it. Um, you've got both types of people. Uh, I, you know. It's just a nice benefit from my standpoint that it, it will appreciate in value. Um, and I expect that it will, but that's my personal opinion. My mom, on the other hand, is she's the exact reason why people like O'Toole would say sell it today, because my mom knows nothing about it. The, the, you know, she, she couldn't even spell it, um, but she'd heard people talking and she wanted in. Right. And and I I gave her the standard advice of, well, you know, you should probably understand what you're getting yourself into. No, 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 no. You know, my friends say it's good. It's going to go up in value. Right. I'm like, "Uh, I don't know, Uh, (laughs) but they want in. Uh, So, yeah, you know, people come to it for a variety of reasons. I personally, though, think that to me, one of the one of the better reasons to come into it and one of the reasons that I'm into it is because I do see it a lot like gold people right now are struggling with what is bitcoin going to be 10 years from now will we be buying coffee with it will we be trading it like a commodity um you know what is it um i put a lot of stake in the trust side of it and the value that it has as as a as an asset that is completely clean and trustworthy and by clean i mean it it won't it won't decay, it won't degrade, which again, is one of the things that makes gold, you know, what it is, um, and that it will be easily transferable to somebody else who will want it for a lot more money than I'm buying it today um, in the future. I, I kind of see it more in the commodity space and less in the um, in the currency space.
1: David O'Leary, who's a runs a podcast called uh, Impact Investing, and he always says, all investing is impact investing like you you believe in this and you think there's something more there i think there's some of that too right
0: oh yeah yeah i know absolutely uh, it's it's a great and and that's why you get the fringe element right because you can go off down that rabbit hole and it's nirvana right it's perfect and it's going to make the world great and everyone's going to cooperate and love each other and there'll be no more wars um i'm not that naive but i'm close you know <laughs> I I think it's going to solve a problem that a lot of people face right now, which is a crisis of confidence in the value of fiat currency. And uh, it's going to be the new flight to safety. Uh, And I think and, and again, you know, people have struggled with how do you predict what the right or the future value of Bitcoin is going to be? And a lot of people have said, okay, well, if if you view it as an asset like gold, then if it takes only 10 or 20% of the gold market, that its market cap will be X and therefore its value will be Y. Um, And, you know, if it only takes 20% away from gold, it's still going to be much more valuable than it is today. So I I, I want it to do that. And I also want it to appreciate in value. So that's why I have, you know, I'm in.
1: (laughs) Now, if you were... financial advisor today and i have a client like your mother right who and she comes to me as the financial advisor and she says i want to put a hundred thousand dollars into bitcoin do you have any advice for the advisor who gets that question from a client
0: um if it was me and i'm i'm not an advisor as you know i would be very blunt with that person and tell them that they are speculating if they understand that they're speculating just like any other speculation then put as much money as you're prepared to lose. What they always tell anybody speculating on anything. So, you know, your your example, it truly is a speculator. Somebody who has no idea about what it is or why, but they've heard that it's going up and there's a lot of buzz. That's that's exactly what a speculation is. And that's why people worry that it's a bubble, right? And, and to some extent, those people uh, have valid concerns. Um, the thing with Bitcoin is that its demise has been predicted, and its bubble has been popped seven or eight times in the last number of years and every time there's a there's a Peter Schiff right who will jump on afterwards and say told you so right um, and every time it drops not quite to the lows that it had before and then it continues to rise so uh, actually, I'm I'm contradicting what I just said, so <laughs> I'm not saying that it's, it's bound to go up um, indefinitely in the future for sure, but I would tell that woman she's speculating um, completely, and if she's not prepared to lose $100,000, then she shouldn't. What I would advise people to do is to take it as a small percentage of their portfolio as a hedge against um, – inflation disruption this the same thing people use gold for and and if a lot of people agree with you in the meantime and pile in and it becomes a lot more valuable great um, or awesome even but think of it that's how I think of it right I think of it as as a hedge uh, asset like gold but other people have different opinions
1: and would you send that person to coinbase or
0: well I, I would send that person to the ETFs when they when they finally come out Right. Because Coin, Coinbase, too, again, as part of the struggle They they have a risk. Their risk is that if they don't go through all the KYC, the know your customer stuff, if they don't keep their records straight and all that, the two years from now, the Canadian government's going to pass some kind of law and require information disclosure on what people have bought, what they've sold, their profits, all of that kind of stuff. So they're trying to cover all their bases. And they're, ma- But by doing so, they're making it very hard for folks to get in, right? And that's kind of what regulation does. Um, but, you know, I think with Coinbase, they want you to, you know, upload a picture of your driver's license or your passport and, you know, all of this stuff so they can say that you're, I don't know, that you're you. By the time we get around to ETFs, oh, hopefully you'll have done that once when you opened the, <laughs> open the account and then you can just buy in and sell. But that will be a lot more easier in the meantime coinbase is your is your easiest and your 30s the third way in is the hard way right which is learn about the technology actually buy some and maintain custody of the keys yourself now people can do that with coinbase they can purchase their bitcoin on coinbase and then transfer it to their own wallets so you can kind of do a hybrid model where you it's easy to buy you go buy it on on coinbase and then you download a a hardware or you get a hardware wallet or you create your own key and then you transfer it to there. Um, And then you are in custody of your own keys again. So you can do it through Coinbase, but most people just leave it in Coinbase or some other exchange.
1: My final question, Mike, do you have anything to promote anything you would send people to have a look at?
0: No. So that's the beauty in my opinion. Again, this this perfect world there is nothing to promote with bitcoin because it doesn't need you (laughs) right it it, it's agnostic and and whatnot so the only way i could make money off bitcoin is by convincing you to watch my talks about bitcoin or convincing you to buy my book about bitcoin or, or whatever um but the network itself doesn't need any of us. And that's the beauty of it. It doesn't need governments. It doesn't need anything. So I don't, I don't really have anything to promote other than, um, you know, if folks, I, I do have a consulting business. So um, if folks want to talk more with me or have me uh, give a presentation on a specific element, um, then they can get in touch and I'd be happy to talk with them.
1: Contact information in the show notes, Mike. That's great. All right. Perfect. You've been uh, very generous with your time, your expertise and uh, your opinions as well, which is appreciated.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks. Yeah, I've got a lot of opinions and I love talking, talking crypto. So it's been a pleasure for me.
1: Thanks so much, Mike, and have a wonderful day. All right, thank you. Okay, lots there. And some financial planning items that I would like to address first and foremost. I think Mike did a good job of talking about why people hold cryptocurrency and primarily Bitcoin, although I know some people buy others. He talked about Litecoin and Ethereum as well in the episode. Uh, of course, in the last couple of weeks, thanks to Elon Musk, we've seen uh, Dogecoin get all this attention. Kind of weird. But anyways, where does it fit in a portfolio? And Mike likened it to gold. And I do hear a lot of this. In the last episode, I talked about gold as an inflation hedge and how that necessarily has not uh, worked out historically. But still, you'll see a lot of that. And that's fair. So if we're concerned about assets holding value, and I still think this is a valid concern. I think it's absolutely valid. We've had uh, negative interest rates lately, and negative interest rates, I think, uh, do... Point to some other potential concerns. So maybe we want to hold crypto as a uh, store of value, a little bit of a maybe counter cyclical outcome compared to the markets. And I suppose that's fine. I don't want to judge anybody for holding an investment or not. I think that if we're going to do that kind of thing, we have to be very careful. And a lot of investors, I think, are likely to come to their investment advisor today and say, What Could uh, crypto look like in my portfolio? How will this work out? And uh, I think that the advice we hear quite a bit around this, and Mike echoed this, is that it's probably best served as a small portion of your portfolio, unless you're a real gambler. I suppose then you might want to go big, but I'm not a fan of that kind of thing. And here's where, and you've heard me say this before, here's where I'm going to refer to Carl Richards. And I'll paraphrase Carl here when he says, OK, what if this works out for you? How much difference will that make in your, let's say, retirement plan versus what if this does not work out for you? So if the value doubles or triples or multiplies by 10 or if the value is cut in half or cut to 20 percent, which of those things has the greater impact on your portfolio? And that's where uh, I like positioning this as a sort of bet. And if this bet really pays off, great, but you don't want to gamble your retirement portfolio on that type of bet. So I I would suggest for investment advisors, that's the way to sort of position this so that your client's not tempted to just go all in based on uh, recent market events or based on a, a tweet from Elon Musk or whatever influences that thinking. If you do have a client who comes to see you, says, I'd like to hold crypto. uh, How can we do it? And you heard Mike in the episode say, probably the best way to do this. It builds in a sort of layer of security is through the uh, exchange traded funds. Now, as of today, there is no exchange traded funds. I'm going to correct what I said in the episode here. As of today, it's uh, February the 15th of 2021. There is no ETF in the North American market, that's Canada or U.S., that gives direct exposure to exchange traded funds. What we did have on Friday was that uh, Purpose Investments, which is Sam outfit, got regulatory approval to uh, produce an ETF. That would be a Canadian ETF, and that would be, assuming that they take advantage of that in relatively short order, they would be the first ones out the gate with an ETF that gives direct exposure to uh, cryptocurrency. Now, the benefit there, uh, as Mike suggested, is that you have a custodian, and that gives you that sort of third party who's taking care of your assets for you. They would exist within a regulatory structure. Purpose Investments is a well-recognized provider of exchange-traded funds in Canada. The potential downside which we didn't chat about in the episode. But this is always a downside with ETFs. And I don't know if it really is a downside. I would suggest it's a potential downside. But the potential downside here is that you may get some additional volatility. You're not directly holding the asset. And if the ETF has a hard time uh, tracking the, in this case, the asset values, what we would normally call tracking the index with most ETFs, then you could end up with some tracking error or some uh, basis point error. That is, you might not get all of the returns that a direct investor would get. I don't know, again, if we'll see that materialize, but that can happen sometimes where exchange-traded funds hold um, highly volatile or uh, partially illiquid assets. In the U.S. market, it's likely that we're going to see ARC investments, which has gotten so much uh, news here. It's likely we're going to see ARC with an exchange-traded fund. As of today, their website does list uh, their series of investment offerings. It shows a cryptocurrency offering, but that it's not currently available, almost like a little coming soon label. I'm sure that they're playing carefully with this uh, in light of how securities legislation treats this kind of thing, but it looks like ARC is not too far away in the United States from having an exchange-traded fund offering. So my speculation here is that by time this episode goes live, that both of those offerings uh, will be available. If I'm wrong, I'm probably not too far off there. The uh, curious thing with the Purpose Investments offering is that the press release about this said Canadian regulators uh, really want this to happen. They want this to happen as a means for Canadians to have a, a safer way to invest in exchange-traded funds. And uh, in the episode, Mike and I talked about Mount Gox, which is a famous uh, exchange that blew up, and then Quadriga CX, which is another exchange that uh, blew up. So I think that it, it sounds like the regulators want to protect uh, the investing public from those Types of risk, and I guess they feel like ETFs are a way to do that. Now, alternatives here to go set up a, a Coinbase or CoinSquare account and use one of the exchanges, and they allow you to move money in and buy and sell within those accounts. And they typically give access to a whole bunch of different uh, cryptocurrency offerings, so you can buy and sell uh, Bitcoin or Litecoin or Ethereum or. Some of the other lesser known cryptos on there as well. Now, going back to the role in the portfolio. So I did suggest a couple of different uses here, possibly speculation, possibly a hedge against inflation as well. Uh, There might be uh, some just straight up fear of missing out here where you say, well, I don't want to get myself five or 10 years down the road and have decisional regret that I didn't buy a little bit of Bitcoin when it was only at $40,000 US or whatever today's value is. Now, the other thing that Mike and I chatted about in here, and I just mentioned it briefly, was the role of securities regulators. And as of today, just from early January of last year, so January 16th, 2020, uh, the CSA updated the document that Mike referred to In his presentation and we're on csa staff notice 21-327 link will be in the show notes guidance on the application of securities legislation to entities facilitating the trading of crypto assets and it is just as i had suggested in the interview where basically it's a reaffirmation of the principles here uh the idea being that if you're trading in something that looks like a security or looks like a derivative where the underlying asset looks like a security or looks like a derivative, that the Canadian securities administrators would regard that as a securities trade. What would have to change here in order for this to look like currency? And by the way, I know some people don't think this, but currency gains are taxable as well. Uh, Technically, your first $200 of currency gains are tax-free. And then after that, they're normally taxed as ordinary income, possibly as capital gains. Uh, However, that's not relevant here. The question is only whether or not uh, these cryptocurrency assets are really currency. And the CSA says they're not really currency yet. They're not widely accepted as a a means of payment. They don't fill the same role as cash does in a portfolio. They still behave more like securities. So right now, uh, this type of transaction is being legislated the same way as other securities transactions would be legislated. And this is always a challenge. This is something that we see with small businesses trying to raise capital. At what point does a small business trying to raise capital cross that boundary into selling securities? We see this with real estate. At what point does a real estate sale uh, that's investment-oriented translate into being a securities transaction versus just a real estate transaction. So we have these problems all over the place. It's obvious when you're dealing with stocks and bonds of a big publicly traded company, but there are tons of other areas where the regulators sort of wrestle with the extent to which they have to be involved. The number for today's episode is three. The number for today's episode is three.
2: To obtain your CE credits for listening to this episode, you'll need the color and number in order to get through the quiz. And also you'll have to pay attention to the interview. There are five questions in there and you'll want to do well on all five. Past grade is 60%. So the place to go to do that is bccquiz.online. That's BCC is in Business Career College. So pop over to BCCquiz.online. There's a short five question quiz there. You should be able to do it on your mobile phone once you are parked. Then you can subscribe right then. It's pretty easy to do. We're always looking for more subscribers. I think this is a super efficient way to get your CE credits. And it's pretty common for me when I tell people about the podcast for CE credits, they say that's a great idea. But I'd still like to get those numbers up. So please pop over to bccquiz.online. Fifteen bucks a month will get you all the CE credits you need, including your professional responsibility credits. And we're doing two episodes a month now or one episode every two weeks. So please pop on over to bccquiz.online and subscribe.
1: Okay, we didn't touch at all on uh, taxation in that episode. I'm sure Mike was happy that I didn't uh, send him there. But I will take a minute to talk about taxation, Uh, just the same way as our securities regulators have some guidance around this. We also have some guidance from the Canada Revenue Agency around taxation of cryptocurrency. And it's what we would expect. So just the same as the Canadian Securities Administrators are treating this as a currency, CRA is treating it as a commodity, which effectively means that for most people, if you just do a sort of casual amount of buying and selling, you make a little bit of gain in a year, like I talked about in the last episode, or a little bit of loss in a year, and it's just a sort of one-off or maybe two or three times in the year you do this, that your gains and losses would be capital you would have the 50% inclusion rate, assuming it's still 50% uh, by time this episode goes to air, but you would have your normal inclusion rate, so half taxable or half usable as a capital loss. However, uh, like other sorts of transactions in this nature, if you did this all the time, if you were sitting at home at a computer monitor and running transactions regularly, then it's no longer a capital gain. Now it becomes a venture in the nature of trade and it's like a business. And it would be just like if you were selling something in a retail business or selling insurance or whatever it happens to be. And that gain would be taxable as income or your expenses would be business deductions. Now, The advantage to that kind of thing, of course, is that then you can uh, deduct your expenses as well. So if you paid anything to participate in that market, you would be able to deduct those expenses. Whereas when you're dealing with capital gains and losses, uh, all your inputs and outputs just affect your capital gains. So if you have a trading cost, for example, then that would be deemed to reduce your proceeds of disposition or increase your ACB depending where that trading cost happens. The other notable thing with capital gains and losses is if you deal with one of the wallets, if you deal with uh, Coinbase or CoinSquare, one of those, you're not going to get any kind of tax slip. It'll be up to you to track that and properly report that. And CRA can see this. It is entirely possible for CRA to go to those providers and ask for, without much effort, Ask for records of all transactions that have happened and tax Canadians on that basis. So you don't get away from taxation by using uh, cryptocurrency. Now I'm sure a smart guy like Mike could show us how to do this, but it's not something that we should count on. And as financial planners or financial advisors, we certainly should be advising our clients to handle their tax affairs properly. And this would go back to the benefit of using exchange-traded funds. If you're using an ETF, you're going to get better tracking. Now, I'm honestly not sure. I don't hold any Purpose products. I'm not sure how Purpose tracks or reports capital gains for their unit holders. Uh, They might, for all I know, issue a T5. I know not all fund providers do, but if they happen to provide a T5, then that's a, a little bit of a benefit to using them because it makes your uh, tracking that much simpler. And I just have one last comment here. And uh, Mike and I touched on it in the episode a little bit, but we have now some institutional investors who are going out and buying large sums of Bitcoin. And I'd be really curious to th- to see the psychology of this, to see what's happening here. Uh, are these institutional investors doing this because Of greater fool theory? That is, do they think the price is going to go up and they're just going to be able to sell at a higher price later on? Are they doing this as an inflation hedge? Are they doing this because of some fear of missing out? Are they doing it for social reasons? Mike had suggested that one of the reasons people participate here is because of an intense belief in personal liberties and uh, maybe some avoidance of various types of pressure from government. So, Are they more concerned about that kind of thing? And I think it would be interesting to see what happens with the institutional investor that decides to make this kind of purchase. Okay, I learned a ton from these two episodes. I hope you did as well. I really enjoyed getting to uh, chat with Mike about this and his willingness to share his opinions on the matter. And I think his opinions were fairly balanced. I hope that this helps you in dealing with your clients Have questions on the matter. I hope you'll join us again in two weeks' time when we'll be talking to Brett Martinson about fee only financial planning and his experience in running a fee only operation. It's actually one of a few episodes we have upcoming on that topic of fee only financial planning. Enjoy your continued studies and please do join us again in a couple weeks. There are quite a few people who help out with getting these episodes to air. Joseph Tong takes care of our editing. Maria Nguyen takes care of all of our continuing education approvals. And Sushami Pomerleau-Piquette, Ji Wu, Lisa Hoffert, and Penny Watt, my mother, make sure that we have people listening to the podcast through their marketing and sales efforts. Thank you so
2: much.